0: Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business. Be a leader in the community and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a Therapreneur. And I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. We go to Google for everything from recipes to answers to our most burning questions. But did you know that many people are also looking for therapist on Google SEO or search engine optimization is the number one way many therapists get clients and you can learn how to optimize your website for search engines too. This spring, I enrolled in Optimize Your Practice, Therapy SEO's signature group coaching program for therapists who want to learn SEO. Although SEO can get super technical and complicated, Christy Platinga, Therapy SEO's founder, made it super accessible, and I've already implemented things that I've learned in the program. So if you're tired of wondering where your next clients are coming from, Head to optimizeyourpractice.com/slash waitlist to get more information about how learning SEO can transform your private practice. Hi, Pauline. Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast again. Do you want to take a moment and introduce yourself just so anyone that's listening has a sense of who you are? Um, they might already know who you are since I know you were a guest previously. Um, but in case they haven't listened to that episode, they, they know just about your clinical background and your practice. I am so excited to be here, Claire.
1: Thanks for welcoming me. I'm Dr. Pauline Yegnazar peck and I'm a licensed psychologist in California as well as New York. I've got a private practice here in Santa Barbara, and I mainly work with millennials and Gen Z-er individuals, as well as couples, and recently have even niched down further to be specializing and working with the children of immigrants around their unique experiences and their unique you know, challenges. And that's my experience. So it feels really nice to have those things come together. I'm really excited to be here and to be kind of joining on this topic, particularly as it bridges the gap between like the personal and the professional. It's this nice little kind of middle point between those two. And I I can see why it would be, it would be important to lots of people.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. And I'm just really grateful to have you back on the podcast and also just your friendship and our camaraderie and the work that we do. And I thought it might be kind of fun. I don't remember if I shared this in the last podcast that you were in, but just for anyone listening. So both Pauline and I both work in Santa Barbara. We both have private practices here. And we actually met not through the clinical work, but we actually met in postpartum at a baby meetup. And our little ones are like a month apart. And so, not only do we have this really incredible um, shared passion for therapy and our clinical work and being a business owner and all of those pieces, but we also have this like multifaceted relationship of, you know, talking about our little ones and having our little ones be friends. And now we also have a, a second generation of that as we are both pregnant with our seconds and so we're excited to just have this conversation today about maternity leave and um, I know we named it even before we hit record but how we both have slightly different journeys and um, with Pauline being licensed for a little bit longer and then for me and I can go into it in a little bit but my first round being I had just gotten licensed I was you know, seven months pregnant when I took my exam. And then, you know, we just had a different journey in our first pregnancies and postpartum. And then now we've learned a lot. And so we also want to name, you know, what are we doing differently? What are the systems that we're setting up um, for our second journey into parenthood again? (laughs) Um, So maybe we could just start with, maybe if you want to share, Pauline, a bit about um, your, your first birth and in terms of where you were at in your clinical practice when you got pregnant. Um, were you anticipating preparing for maternity leave? What were your thoughts at that time? And just kind of walk us through your journey. And then I'll share a bit about mine and then we'll continue the conversation.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, thinking back to where I was, I had started my practice and it had opened up. I was probably in practice for a good six plus months before I found out I was pregnant. And then I had throughout the entirety of my pregnancy to you know, navigate knowing that I was going to take a break, but it felt kind of solid. Mm. I had a lot of clients as well as I was teaching at UCSB as well as at Antioch. And so I had a really full, not just caseload, but really full plate. I don't think I had anticipated the surrendering that it takes to be pregnant, surrender to rest, surrender to time off, surrender to, not feeling so great for different reasons across the various months. And so I definitely feel like I'm much more prepared now for the kind of human element of it and not just the kind of practical elements of it. And so I can share a little bit about that, but I was really working a lot on all fronts and the pandemic happened. Mm. This was February and March. I gave birth in August. And so 2020, 2020. Yeah. And so many of my clients, even previous clients, kind of came back needing support.
0: Yeah, that's right. I
1: had anticipated taking this like juicy pre maternity leave, meaning like pre birth maternity leave. I'll have a month. My whole you know place at the time was full of boxes and full of things we were buying online. And you know that month mark before my birth came and went, and I was still supporting clients into you know, those weeks. And so I really didn't take off until probably a week before I was, I was due yeah. and, and he came a few days early. And then I'd given, what I did do is I gave my clients a range and I told them I'm thinking anywhere between three months. Cause that's kind of what you hear in corporate America. So I'd given myself, I said anywhere from three to six months. And so I'm glad that I gave myself that range and did mm-hmm. the process of getting them Transferred if they wanted, and all of those pieces. And I definitely want to speak a little bit about the systems that you can put in place now so that, that the practice yeah. as smoothly as possible. And then, you know, there was a part of me that was, you know, really missing the work because I was missing the mental stimulation, but there was just a lot of other pieces going on. My whole schedule needed to change because I was breastfeeding. And so, staggering clients in a very different format in order to have time for pumping. I mean, everything everything changed. And so, you know, I can I can talk more about that, but I definitely now have a lot more insight into all the various things that could happen, the variables at play and just how it is to prepare for yourself, not just as the professional, but as the person and all the things you might need as the person. And so I probably came around, came back into private practice around four to five months. And it wasn't just a doors wide open. All my clients are back. It was a staggered, slow trickle. (laughs) Exactly. And then really kind of built up. And by summertime, I had a very different looking practice in terms of number of clients. I completely got off insurance panels, I Amazing. really, really got serious about what kind of clients make me come alive. Because every hour I was with someone else, I was not with my child.
0: So yeah. it
1: really kind of emboldened me, and also made each hour feel like I really wanted to maximize my potential as well as what the client was getting out of it. So it really meant mm-hmm. thinking about what client was best for me. And so when I came back, the practice that I have now, and I've been back since. I'd say February or so, um, even before that, January of 2021. So I've been back for about a year and a and a half now. The practice I have now looks very, very different than what I had back then in terms of number of clients, types of clients, structure, as well as other things that I'm doing on the side. So that's just kind of a little bit of the yeah, the what things looked like moving into
0: that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I feel like I have so many follow-up questions, but I know that we'll probably deepen some of them in a little bit in terms of like the Mm -hmm. systems and the structures and the spaciousness that you created before you gave birth in terms of like a window of time to tell people, but also it sounds like you apply that same spaciousness in your postpartum and in your re-entry of spaciousness to schedule, a spaciousness to pump or to breastfeed, or you know, whatever that might have looked like. Um, Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm curious about your story because I don't think I've heard, I don't think I've heard it in in this context. So yeah, I'd love to
0: hear more about yours too. So where do I even begin? I guess to kind of give a little bit of perspective. So I don't know what you were like in your clinical hour journey, um, but I'll just speak a little bit into mine. I was that person probably for better or for worse that like wanted to be like one of the first to get licensed in my cohort. I was very much like you know, I'm going to be, you know, people say it takes two to five years to do your clinical hours for your MFT. I'm like, I'm going to get it done in two, you know, like just very goal-driven, very hardworking. Um, and so I was cranking out my hours and I finished them like in pretty much the quickest time you could. So I finished my hours in, I want to say it was August of 2019, but the good old BBS was delayed. And so my hours didn't get approved until February of 2020. And I had just found out I was pregnant. So it was like a very strange week of like finding I was pregnant my hours were approved. And then obviously this is right before the lockdown and everything happened with the pandemic. And so then all of that happened and my exam was, it was awful. I remember I had signed up for my clinical exam and the pandemic had hit. So my exam was like, supposed to be, I think, end of March. And I logged into my portal the week before my exam, just to like double check stuff. And my exam didn't exist and they had canceled it and didn't tell me because since the pandemic hit, they were cutting, like, I think half of the exam takers because they need to have space between people for just safety with COVID. And, um, yeah. So then I was like, losing my shit because I was like, I'm pregnant. I need to take this while I have energy. I don't know what my pregnancy will look like. Um, I've been studying. I don't want to keep studying. And so then I was like frantic and I couldn't find an exam for the longest time. And eventually scheduled one for June. Um, that I think one of my other, I think my exam was canceled two or three times before I actually took it. Um, just because of COVID stuff. And, um, when I finally took it, I was, I guess I was five months pregnant. Cause I took it in June and I was due in October. Um, and so I took it five months pregnant down in um, Compton. I had to like drive super far for it. So I got licensed, which was like such a relief. And I feel like my little daughter inside my belly was like my, <laughs> you know, they're with me. I'd rub my belly being like, we can do this. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. And, um, through that process. So at that time I was working in a private practice under someone. So that was one of my clinical sites. And then I also had worked at a nonprofit that I had started doing my clinical hours with, and then worked my way up in leadership took over a co-founder's role as a director. And I was doing that and private practice. And I really liked the pairing because I loved Um, seeing clients, but I also loved the stability of that income and also a different skill set that I was tapping into. So fast forward, I got licensed. I had to then, as I was pregnant, kind of preparing for that do all the business formation stuff and figure out my systems and simple practice and, you know, EIN and all that kind of stuff. And so I only was like in private practice, I want to say for a couple of months. And in that space, those were all clients that i had built a full caseload under someone transferred them, which felt really nice to get the full fee and then to just figure out the logistics, but very quickly had to transfer them out because I was going to go on maternity leave. So it was a very anticlimactic way to like reach that milestone. I think you imagine that milestone as you know, and obviously at the time it was like 2020. So you imagine like a huge party to celebrate and you imagine, um, you know, here's my office. I could have signed an office now, but I was like, I don't want to sign an office yet because I'm about to leave. And it was just, it was very, I don't know. There's a lot of grief around that, I think, because it wasn't what I expected. Um, but yeah. So then I transferred my clients out thinking I would, you know, have, like you said, that spacious month. And then my daughter came like three weeks early. So I didn't really get that spacious month. Um, But that's kind of where I landed. And I I had told my clients, you know, I'll probably be back in February, which is around the time that my director job with the time that I had off would give me. So I thought, you know, I'll be good. I'm really high functioning. I'm very driven. I love multitasking. um, But I just wasn't prepared for my birth experience or what postpartum would be like. And I ended up having a pretty traumatic birth and subsequently developed postpartum anxiety. And so the me that I was before I had my daughter in that fresh raw season was just in a different state of like struggling to leave the house, struggling to take care of myself, struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and things that I wasn't as familiar with. So it was a very humbling experience and definitely tapped me into like the humanness of who I am and really honoring that and holding space for myself to heal before I re-entered the work world of holding space for others. And so instead of taking, I think I anticipated three months, I ended up taking six months. And um, kind of similar to what you said, and I'm sure we can kind of deepen this, um, it really highlighted for me, like, because through that process, I ended up quitting my director job because I was just like, there was a timeline for me to be back and I didn't think it was fair for them to hold it much longer. And I just was starting to feel like, I don't even know if I can do both, like in this new season, I didn't know what it would be like to be a parent. And like you named of like the time you're away from your kid, it needs to be time that you feel really clear on that. This is how you want to spend it. (laughs) Um, And that just had shifted. Um, And so, yeah, I feel like when I reemerged into private practice, you know, six months later, I had zero clients on my caseload and I kind of similar to what you named, like The foundation that I began building the second time around was very different than the foundation I had built as an associate. As an associate, you're trying to get your hours accrued. You're trying to get couples and kids and all the different categories. And you're just trying to make money to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And instead, it was like, okay, I've experienced the highest of highs with having my daughter and the lowest of lows of seeing what my mental health could have been and was, And really wanting to protect that and not wanting to add the wrong clients to my caseload that would trigger my anxiety or also just wanting to be really congruent in the type of practice I was building. It wasn't about, you know, making an income. It was also about I'm building my career I'm building my business and what type of business do I want? And so I asked a lot of fundamental questions and that's a lot of what the Flourishing Therapreneur was birthed through. I had dreamed it up when I was in grad school, but. I made the website for the flourishing Therapreneur while I was nap trapped on my phone and really started dreaming up like the philosophy behind our humanness and honoring the different kind of modalities of what, you know, balanced and a flourishing life looks like. And so, yeah, I feel like in a certain sense, what felt like a huge struggle and was a huge struggle ended up being a really great gift in terms of letting me hair down my schedule, letting me go from being this really busy, high functioning leader to I'm still those things in different contexts, but to really become more aligned in who I am, but also the life I want to live. So yeah, sorry, that was very long winded, but I just, there's so much to it. I had to name.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just struck with so much compassion for you and for us and for particularly the COVID mamas that
0: Mm -hmm. really
1: had to learn so much that we don't know to even ask about private practice and maternity leave at a time when the world is topsy-turvy anyway. there's like a sense as you're talking of, I'm just feeling emotional, feeling like, oh, there's, there's, No Mud, No Lotus, like those, so much of my practice and the things I'm doing now and so much of your practice and the things you're doing now were birthed, you know, pun intended, birthed from the difficulties and those, the snags in this perfect script of how it was meant, quote unquote, meant to go. And yet I'm also feeling really good about having this conversation because I hope I was telling you, um, even as we were trying to schedule this, that I had just met with a previous student who just got licensed at the park at lunch, and I just kind of told her everything about maternity and practice, I was so happy that we had this podcast coming up. It was so fortuitous, but there is a, there's a really you know, wonderful thing that's happening in terms of hopefully people that are pregnant for the first time are able to have these resources, to have these questions asked, to consider the various possibilities of how it can go before, during, and after. And it just makes me feel, you know, my heart breaks for us and what we didn't know, but also feels very encouraged by not just our resilience, but the meaning we made out of it and the beauty that we from it and the purpose that we developed as a result of our particular challenges. And it's also making me really feel excited for, you know, places like the Therapreneur and other resources for people to consider these things before. So they don't, not everyone has to experience some of the downs of what we experienced in order to navigate what is a really beautiful, but arguably a very difficult season of identity transformation and, physical, emotional, and relational change. And so totally. it, it's. I'm feeling all the feels in all of those.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No. And I, and that's one of the reasons I wanted this episode specifically, it was like, and that's kind of the heartbeat of the, the flourishing entrepreneur. is like really cultivating conversations that if you Google, you can't really find like who teaches you how to set up your private practice in a way that you can take a maternity leave who talks about the humanness of the struggle or what it's like to breastfeed and go to work or, you know, all those pieces. And I think what's difficult and also beautiful about our profession is that the multi-layered human component of we show up as a human in our sessions with our clients. And, you know, it's not like we can just re-enter and just, you know, crank out emails and not interface with people and kind of hide behind our screen, but instead we are fully, Holding space and showing up in a very um, potent and real and important way. And so, what does that look like when our lives transform and when we're navigating the pandemic and we're navigating fresh postpartum and just the struggles of parenthood? So, I'm glad we're talking about this too. Yeah. And there's, you
1: know, I think if I could, if I could have the listeners take one thing away from this, is like, I think so often we are thinking about how to take care of our clients best. And we're putting, we're so mindful and attentive to their needs mm. and to transitions for them, And what any kind of change in our lives might mean for them. Even I remember thinking about all of the various women on my caseload. I had one person who had been going through IUI and it wasn't successful. I had another who was really struggling with wanting to get married in this long-term relationship. Issue was in. I had another dealing with body image issues. I actually had somebody on my caseload that really was creeped out by pregnant people. And this was something so, you know, as I was thinking about telling clients, I wasn't just blanket statement thinking, I was really into how might each person take it? What might this feel like? Which client attachment wise is going to have a hard time internalizing a sense of my care for them and the work we've done when I'm away physically. So, you know, I hope that what people take it is is we are so good at doing that part. And then we think about all of the logistics and the practical things for our clients and what it's gonna be like for them. And I just hope that just like when you have a child, you need to be mothered. It's mothering a mother. So and I didn't really realize that it was I was so focused on mothering my baby. And I was like, wait a second, I need mothering, I need nurturing, I need support through this transition. I hope that the therapists listening really think about therapizing the therapist and really helping to create what do I need? What's it gonna be like for yeah. me to answer? I, I remember I had a friend that I talked to. Pauline, what's it gonna be like if people ask, you know, about your pregnancy, how long it took you? What if that client who had iOS? how many months did you try? You know, where are your boundaries mm. around sharing and really kind of thinking about that this wasn't just something that was happening to my clients in my practice that I needed wow. to ethically and kind of morally and clinically thinking about, but that I needed to think about myself as a person moving through this transition who has needs, who has boundaries, who has wants, who has, you know, soft spots, who has tender things that are difficult. You know, there was all of that that I think I have so much more of an awareness now in terms of making sure that I'm not, you know, I think I shared with you, I felt very ill in the first trimester of this pregnancy. I'm 22 weeks now from weeks seven to weeks 14 slash 15. Yeah. I I probably tested myself for COVID 10 times because I kept thinking this must be COVID. I knew I was pregnant, but it did not strike me as pregnancy related symptoms. It was such a different pregnancy than my first one. And you know, there's the old wives tale of, oh, when you're having a girl, because I'm having a girl now, I have a son already, Um, you know, and, and I don't know how much of that is true, but I felt so ill. I took off three and a half weeks of work that I had not done that Aww. for years. I had not
0: done yeah. that kind of juicy break. Unless it was a vacation. Not Exactly. Like- and
1: even then, I don't think I've taken, yeah, yeah, I don't think I've taken a three and a half week vacation. So that was to me you know, real indication of how differently I was treating my own mental health, physical health, honoring my own capacity, and not just thinking about the impact for my clients. And interestingly enough, this has really taught me that clients also love when there is this this strong therapeutic alliance, they Mm -hmm. love that sometimes you also need their grace their wiggle room, their understanding and compassion. I can't tell you how many clients. And again, pregnancy hormones make it hard to talk about touching things without getting kind of teary But how many clients said, "I am so proud that you took that time off. Aww. You helped us to take care of ourselves." Yeah. And, it's, and another that said, "I'm, I, I'm, I'm really feeling like, wow. If she is, she's walking the walk. This made it feel like." She's not just telling me to do something that she's not doing herself, and it just—I had so many of those moments with clients, clients that are still asking, "How are you?" And I can see that it—it it feels good for them to show up in the relationship as not just I'm receiving, but also as human to human, not therapist and not that clients should take care of you, but human to human. They have something to offer. It's not just a one-way relationship all the time. That them just asking, and I answer genuine. I'm not, I'm not like. Why are you asking that question and wondering how I am? Yeah. I feel it a lot better. I'm so glad I took that time. And so it has become part of our conversation, but it's also because I have far more of an awareness of myself and an inclusion of myself in the equation of wow. practice and my clients, I'm no longer just the professional providing services. I'm a person and my own needs matter and I think the better you take care of yourself throughout the pregnancy journey the more smoothly you can transition into when you need even more in the birth and the postpartum journey so i hope that people take away honor yourself it's not just the systems all the things that i hope we get into but it's it's really honoring yourself and and being in that sometimes uncomfortable for us place of Showing up as a human and and where that line is is something you can always get consultation and and talk to people about. Everyone's got a different line, but it's important. It really is important to make sure that you're yeah. being a good therapist to the therapist as well as a good mother.
0: To the mother. Yeah. Oh, I love that you highlight that because I think especially in our profession, it's so easy to focus on the client or focus on our business. But if we neglect ourselves, it just has such a ripple effect. But also the piece of like does it even matter? Like if we, if we have a great business, if we have a full client load, but we in ourselves are not doing well, none of it matters, you know, and it's not, you know, worth what you're doing. So yeah. Um, I'm wondering, I want to just transition us. Cause I have like, we have so many things to deep dive into, but maybe we could talk about what were things that we did in our first, you know, round of being pregnant postpartum in terms of, you know, our practices, how did we prepare for maternity leave? And then what does it look like now? And what have we learned and what were mistakes we made or what are things we're doing differently this time around? Cause I know, yeah, life has changed. It's not 2020 anymore. It's there's still the pandemic. There's still a lot of logisticals that are, you know, at play, but how, how is this next round feeling different in terms of preparing for that? Yeah. You start, let me gather my many different thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the first time around for me, because there was so much going on in the world at 2020 and with just getting licensed and trying to figure out the business stuff. And like I had said, I had worked at a nonprofit as a director. And so when I thought of maternity leave, I was like, okay, well, I have, you know, my state disability through my director role. And that was kind of like my buffer for finances and whatnot, And because I had literally just started, it was kind of like, I kind of just knew, like, I'm not like, I'm starting and stopping (laughs) at the same time. Um, And so I kind of just anticipated that. And so I was really proud of myself for at least getting everything figured out before I left, like getting simple practice started, getting my business registered, getting my, you know, business bank accounts, all those things, because it sounds kind of silly, but like when you do reemerge after postpartum. I know for me, I don't know what your experience was. I had a different brain bandwidth of like teaching myself technology things and doing paperwork and, you know, all of that. So the fact that like, I'd already figured out all my paperwork stuff for simple practice, I already knew how to onboard people and like learn that whole system was actually really helpful. It made transitioning back really easy. Um, but yeah, like I said, I took a little bit more time than I anticipated. And because of that, I didn't return to private practice with clients. And so what I kind of did, and I know everyone's different. I think I started back to work in April of, yeah, I think it was April or May of 2021. And what I did is I started because at that point, I didn't have an office space because I, you know, was on maternity leave, didn't sign something yet. And so I gave myself about three months to just build my caseload through telehealth um, and just kind of see how it would grow. And I really checked in with myself. I would refer clients out, a lot of people reach out. And I was kind of like what you named Pauline, just getting really clear on like who the right fit was and who my ideal client was. And then through my experience, I, you know, grew really passionate about postpartum anxiety and depression and all of that and did additional training once I did my own healing process and became certified in that. So when I returned to work, my population kind of started lending itself to more pregnancy, postpartum clients and things that just really, um, I grew passionate about. And so I want to say I would, I think the first couple months back, I took like one or two clients. And then by June, I was like, okay, I'm starting to get a fuller caseload. And then I ended up signing an office space, knowing one that like, I am my own boss. And that's been the case for the past, however long. (laughs) And knowing that I wouldn't have like the disability kind of piece. I know some people, I'm sure that's a deeper conversation that we could go into at a different point about how do you can you still qualify for disability if you're self-employed or there's all those other logisticals, which we can save for another conversation, but kind of just knowing, okay, I don't have my director job to lean on. Um, this is all me. I've been kind of taking like actionable steps to think about, you know, what would that look like? And also for me not to know, of like, you know, I have a history of postpartum anxiety. So what if I experience that again? Or what if I leave is longer again? Or what if, you know, I just change my mind about stuff. And so a couple of things that I'm doing, one, I've been licensed for two years now. And I would known all along with my private practice, that I wanted to be a group practice. And so I've been taking steps to start onboarding associates, which is something I'm really passionate about teaching my niche of eating disorders, body image and perinatal mental health. And so my hope is to take on two associates and start them in the fall. I'm due in March. So my hope is that I can train them and they can start filling their caseloads. And then I can transfer some of the clients that I would have on my caseload currently to them to kind of like collaborate on their care. Um, I'm also going to hire a clinical supervisor that will kind of be my sub so that they, when I am on maternity leave, they will still be doing supervision for me in my absence and still connect with me as needed. Um, but to kind of have them on retainer for like however many months I need someone that I trust locally. And then also something else that I'm doing, because I'm at a spot where my private practice is full. And that's one of the reasons I'm taking on associates is because I have a lot of referrals to give them right now, because I'm not taking that many new clients is I'm hiring an executive assistant, because I realize like, I need to start thinking about even just outside of having a kid, another one of like, what do I actually want to do in my practice? And what do I not want to do? And I spend so much time emailing and doing consultations and intakes. And if I can hire someone and teach them how to do that, I can teach them how to process payroll. I can teach them how to do some of the marketing stuff for me. Then I can offload that. I can still be really involved, but I want to have someone that kind of holds the phone literally while I'm gone, that my practice is still running and I still have someone that is, scheduling for my associates and helping me with logisticals. And so nothing kind of falls through the cracks. So that's kind of what I've been doing right now. In addition to like saving a certain amount a percentage of my income each month towards a kind of maternity leave pot of sorts, but I don't know if those are the right steps. So those are just the steps that I've begun to think about, but obviously I'm only at this point, eight weeks pregnant. So I'm like still very much at the beginning of like imagining what that could look like. I'm sure I'll do a little bit more research and pick a couple more people's brains. But um, those are kind of like the logistical steps I'm taking right now.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I think I, I'm you know, hearing so much more intentionality and thoughtfulness and consideration of all of these other pieces, as well as how different it is not having the nice disability leave, parental leave around because of the director position. So it's like you, the more responsibility, but then also more choice in terms of how to adjust for that financially, but also in a way that feels aligned to your greater vision and purpose for the practice, your work in general. So yeah, totally.
0: And then I'll just name this other piece real quick too, is something that I'm kind of mulling over and I'm going to kind of see how it pans out, but my practice, I see a lot of individuals, but I also hold a lot of groups, like a pregnancy postpartum group, a grief group, a body image group, a working mom's group. I have different groups and I'm almost wondering, I might even give myself a little spaciousness of when I do go on maternity leave to be marketing and having my assistant market the groups while I'm on maternity leave so that they can get filled. And so when I return, maybe I'll start with just groups at first. So one hour a day, you know, each day of the week or whatever days I choose to work. And groups feel so different to me than seeing an individual client, way less, you know, stress and it just they're so fun and meaningful. And it's a lighter type of work. So I'm even trying to think about things like that of like maybe. When I first re-enter, maybe I'm doing groups in my practice or maybe I'm at a spot where my practice keeps growing and my, you know, associates are doing great and my, you know, I still want to take on clients, but maybe I'll pour more energy into the flourishing and I'll do more creative projects in that first fresh postpartum because that feels more invigorating or like more doable in a different type of load that I'd be carrying. So I'm just kind of holding spaciousness to dream that up and just to kind of give myself options.
1: Absolutely, I don't know if it's necessarily mistakes, but things I've learned from the first time around. Uh, that the first thing I wrote, and you just talked about it, is re-enter gently and re-enter in a way that does invigorate you. You know, I'm remembering now that I came back and I took on a class in January at Antioch, which is group psychotherapy, and it's my favorite. You lead a T group, which is a training group, so there's this experiential component to it. It's a you know interpersonal process group, which is, you know, partly my, you know, my, my number one favorite kind of group to have. So doing that one day a week for 10 weeks felt like a commitment I could make. It was really exciting to do it. It was Mm -hmm. temporary. It wasn't like taking on a client that many of my clients, you know, the beginning of my entire private practice journey. And so that felt really nice reentering in a gentle way, reentering with a couple clients that. I felt like I could really easily work with. you know. There, not every hour is built the same. Not every client takes the same amount of work for lots of different reasons. And so really keeping that in mind of re-entering gently. And I'm glad I gave myself the wiggle room and mm-hmm. I will continue to do that, but also to think about what are the various ways I'd like to re-enter and honoring that there's not just the re-entering in terms of adjusting. I wasn't sleeping, you know, the, what childcare looks like, where you are in terms of your physical healing and health, but where you are in your mental health as well. It was really physically hard for me to be away from my child. It was very distressing. And so doing it as gently as possible, so that I'm not forcing it. There was, you know, I wish in this ideal world, I could have taken a year and been with my child. And I think that would have been okay. But, you know, Partly there's a financial piece to it, and partly I do love the work that I do, and so it's totally it was a mix of those two. I didn't have a year where I think we could have been okay without bringing in an additional income, but I think I would have really missed it if I was away for that long. But yeah. it was a piece of having to balance some of the practical financial needs that you have with your growing family, as well as re-entering in a way that allows you to kind of fall in love with the work again. Have the times where you're gonna cry because you're leaving your child, and you know you're pumping in your office, and that was not enjoyable. I really, really hated pumping. Like I was very excited to be done with pumping when that was done, and so you know the re-entering gently is a big thing, and even this time around, having even more systems in place. Like I was telling you that I had clients who originally. So when I talk about, hey, I'm pregnant this is when I anticipate taking maternity leave. I also give myself wiggle room for that because you don't know where you're going to be. Like you're, you know, he came what, three weeks early. And so I, Marcus came four days early. So I don't know when baby girl is going to be ready to enter into the world and in what capacity I'm going to be in, you know? So giving them wiggle room, like sometime around November, she's December 3rd. So really just kind of giving this, this free range. And then, when I went on maternity the first time around, there were clients that I let me back up again. So I would say to them, during this time off, you can, you know, choose to take a break. You can choose to be transferred to somebody else. Like, you know, you can choose to do a group instead. You can choose lots of different options. Let's talk about and keep talking. It's not a one-time conversation. That's what I was telling my previous student. It's a on you open the door. And that's something you're going to check back in on. And many times clients, because they're in denial said, I haven't thought about it. I haven't even looked at the list that you've given me. And then it becomes more and more real as, you know, time progresses. And so it is important for you as the clinician to be just like, it's important for us to bring up race differences in identity, sex topics that are difficult for clients to bring up. It's kind of on you to bring this up because the client, some anxious clients might bring this up, but many times... They're going to be taking your lead. And so I really kind of gave them those choices. And I gave, you know, referrals to those people um, that that said that they wanted them. This time around, I'm giving referrals to everyone. Even if people say, I'd like to take a break. Mm. I don't need somebody. Because I had a few emails from people that said, oh my gosh, a month in, two months in. I really thought I would not need this. I need it. So can you list, you know, send me that? And so it did keep me kind of tethered a little bit to my inbox because every once in a while I would get something and I had my maternity out of office reply, but I also let them know if it's a transfer of care, if it's a request for records or a medical kind of disability, you know, application or something ethically, I'm still responsible for them. And so I'm even putting more systems in place where I'm giving everybody those resources, I'm having my out of way, you know, out of office um, away message, highlight how long it might take me for those kinds of requests, because I did have a disability request that I needed to work on in the middle of, you know, right smack dab in the middle of my maternity leave. And so now I'm really anticipating that you don't know what's going to come up for clients and what they might need from you. And you can't just anticipate stepping away completely and not adjusting. And then in that same way, this, you know, last time around, I definitely had prenatal anxiety. I mean, COVID was happening. I was working a ton and I was holding space for them, but it's very different when you're also going through it and you're pregnant. All the rules around pregnancy are changing. I remember changing my prenatal care from an OBGYN to um, midwifery care in my third trimester. So there was a lot going on and I joined a pregnancy support group and I'm still friends with the ladies from that support group. Oh, I love
0: that. It was
1: so wonderful. This time around I have a list of resources and I haven't needed to use them, but having those resources makes all the difference. So I'm gonna have a list of clinicians that are particularly working in that because of the previous therapist I had. I changed therapists since then. I'm gonna have those lists of pregnancy resources. I have all of the lactation consultants and craniosacral and doulas and all of these, you know, acupuncturists, I have a list of resources for mm. me now that just like with yeah. my clients, I may not need or I may need. And then just making sure that I don't have to go searching for them in the 12th hour when I'm dealing with totally. whatever.
0: <laughs> I feel like you, I don't know, our time is starting to wrap up, which I'm so sad about because I feel like we can keep talking forever. Maybe we'll have a part two of this as well. But um, I feel like you mentioned before we hit record, like you had created even, like scripts or systems for like different potentials so you wouldn't have to write them later or something along those lines? Could you deepen that? Just because I feel like that was such a great nugget of, you know, preparation.
1: Absolutely. I, I usually like to give my clients things in writing that I've already discussed in session. So sometimes I'll do the email first or sometimes I'll do the discussion first, but uh, it's different. Some clients are in a different state when they're coming into therapy and then seeing it and having it in their inbox to refer to later is helpful. So I wrote to everyone and said, reiterating again, I'm pregnant. This is when I'm going to take maternity leave. These are the various options I want you to be considering. This is when we'll keep talking more, but I'll check in. You know, I did it like every month basis and toward my maternity leave. And then I did write a few scripts of I'm out of the office. I didn't include the If you need me, what's my turnaround time? How often I'm checking my email that I will adjust. And then I wrote a couple scripts for I'm coming back at the earlier end. Like it was one script, but I had this section that I bolded and highlighted. So I would choose whether I'm coming back or whether I need more time. So I told them that I would check in with them at the beginning of the year, which I did do. I slowly re, you know, introduce people in my, in my clinical caseload, not all at once, like I was saying earlier. And so those are the kinds of scripts that I put together beforehand. And now I'm going to make sure that those are really tightened up. And I'm going to also make sure that I give everybody, like I said, the list of the clinicians and various resources if they want a consult, because I really like to do a pro, you know professional to a professional consult, transfer of care and really give them a treatment summary. And I would like that as a professional. And so really kind of saying, if you need care, know that I'm available for this. What's the time frame, right? If they have a session tomorrow and they email me at eight o'clock, I'm not going to be able to, to do that. And so just writing those email scripts, as well as um, I'm going to be recording my my phone, my voicemail um, away, and then putting my site today on pause. And just like you were saying, hi I did take associates for a period of time. Two of them are, one is already licensed, one is almost getting licensed, so they won't be around during my maternity leave, but thinking about what things I can be working on now that set me up for passive income for that period of time um, is, is definitely more top of mind to me this time around. Also, I'm not planning to have some big project during maternity leave because you already
0: have a big project. (laughs) It's called having (laughs) a a very big project.
1: So, I had all these lofty goals to like take some meditations and visualizations and to do this course. I am doing that now in my second trimester. I am not doing that during maternity leave. It might be a project, like you said, I come back to and kind of you know, fiddle around it as it comes together. Cause it's creative. It's going to put you back in there, but I'm not, I'm really thinking of maternity leave as a lead and not feeling like disappointed that I didn't get this lofty list of things to do
0: done. Totally. Yes, totally. Well, and for someone that's like a high achiever and like very like on it, Like the idea of being like, what am I going to do all day? Like, how am I going to spend my time? It's like, oh my gosh, I don't have any time to spend literally sleep deprived and covered in spit up and blowouts and all the things. Um, But as we wrap up today, I kind of want to just end the conversation with an encouragement to anyone that's listening in terms of, yes, there are not a ton of conversations like this out there. There's not a ton of resources when you Google, how do I take a maternity leave in private practice? Or, you know, what steps do I take? We'll continue to further this conversation. Maybe we'll have a part two at some point. Um, But I do wanna say it's something that I wasn't expecting in my process is how incredible private practice is as a parent. And yes, there's challenges, thousand percent, lots of challenges, but there's also a lot of gifts of private practice. And right now I make way more than I made when I worked two jobs as a director and also in private practice. Um, I work way less and I have that kind of quality time I want with my daughter and I feel really present with her, but I'm also still honoring my passions, my clinical work, what really feels like a calling to me. And I just want to plant that thought too, because I think sometimes we don't hear that enough in our profession that you can be a parent and you can have a successful private practice and just here to cheer you all on in that. And I hope with our conversation with Pauline that you really felt encouraged and seeing that that's where you're at, or maybe that's where you're propelling yourself towards um, it is possible. And hopefully this conversation kind of spurred on some juicy kind of to-do list items, or just hope that it's possible. And we're cheering you on and calling anything else to say before we wrap up?
1: Absolutely. And to just, I, I agree with everything you said. And to just say, I always talk about parenthood as a portal. It's a portal of transformation. Mm -hmm. And while there are lots of unknowns and uncertainties, it is undeniably made me a better person, a bolder person, a person Mm -hmm. so much more clarity about what's important in life. And so mm. it's scary because you don't know who you're going to be on the other end of it, but being, having been on the other end of it, I'm kind of excited this time around. Of What are the things that are going to be the ahas to me? Like all of my work mm. immigrants now is birthed from some of the immense grief that I had having it. Pandemic with a mom who had died, you know, over a decade ago. And so that helped me to kind of think about breaking intergenerational trauma and how empowerment, when you kind of grieve and accept what's happened and then move into police. And so much of that came from having my son and becoming a parent. And so I just want to encourage people mm-hmm. to systems possible and the flexibility and the work-life balance pieces. It's not always easy, but yeah the identity shift can be such a powerful one. It can be such a expansive one and one that really calls you to an even higher purpose. And so I, <laughs> I kind of see people that are speaking to that piece of it as well,
0: because it's a transformation process that can happen. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Pauline, for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure and I just really value your friendship and our camaraderie and excited to, you know, enter this second round of little ones. (laughs) I
1: love it. We've got each other and that makes the world of difference to me, Claire. Thanks for having me on.
0: So you want to launch a private practice, but you don't know where to begin. Well, you are in luck. Our signature course flourishing in private practice is coming October, 2022. This 12-hour, self-paced course is perfect if you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that is wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss. This course will walk you through all the steps from the basics of setting up your business structure Creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapeneur.com to join our waitlist to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 steps to starting a private practice and it's available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. Thank you for tuning in to the flourishing Therapreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and Therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapeneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a Therapreneur.